invite Nuri to come now um, and bring our Bible reading from 2 Samuel 23 this morning. Thanks, Nuri. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kazil, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in the pit on the day when snow had fallen. He struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with the staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set over him his bodyguard. Good morning. How are we? It's great to be introduced this morning, and I really want to commend Megan to you. Just a great job that she's clearly doing, and what a great church, eh? Yeah, and uh, it was a privilege for me to, to fly down the Monash Freeway here this morning without any traffic. I felt like uh, being on a mission from God, the traffic was parting, but it was really just because it was Sunday morning. And uh, I reckon uh, there is no greater place to be on a Sunday than in a church. I wonder if we are the church to the local community. You know, God called me as a Christian at age 16 uh, to serve him. I'd been in a religious tradition all my life to that point, didn't really consider uh, when I encountered God, that I had been a Christian. I'd been religious. There's a difference entering into relationship. And to know the God of eternity, having seen him perform miracles, uh, people were healed in ways I couldn't explain. And it was just such a privilege to actually come to Christ, to start to discover the truths of the Bible. And from that point on, when a lot of my friends were falling away from church, to commit my life to him. And uh, I think uh, that over all the years... I've been humbled more and more by what God has done in me, or what I know that he has yet to do in me, and what I see in others. I can aspire to others and to want to be like them and to see Christ in them. But I want to more and more have people see Christ in me, to come to know him because they see him in me, to put my life in his hands, to be a servant of his, and not just on Sundays, but everywhere I go. You know, missionaries are not just people who visit other countries. They're people who serve God. And win people to him, even in urban areas like this one. And I want to pray uh, just as we begin to look at the word of God this morning. That God would speak to us as missionaries being mobilized to touch our world. People who are in the hands of God to do the great and mighty exploits. Like we just heard about in the Bible reading. Not just soldiers of thousands of years ago. Not just other people out there today who are doing great things for God. But us, we in his hands. And how about we pray we look at the word of God this morning. Father, I thank you that you've given it to us. Lord, you've given your word to speak powerfully and precisely to us, to leap off the pages, to not just be stories from history, but to inspire us that we might live for you today. And Lord, we ask that you'd speak afresh by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a privilege to serve this Churches of Christ movement over the last couple of months. And coming from having been a senior minister in a church uh, that certainly presented me with a lot of challenges and also presented me with a lot of growth. 
One of the things that uh, I was very conscious of as a minister was the important privilege I had to help people to be built up in their faith. The passage we've looked at this morning from 2 Samuel 23 inspires us to be built up in our faith. It's to be, in fact, built to last because we're in the hands of a God who is building us. We are, as Ephesians 2 says, the workmanship of Christ. He has created us for good works. Us being you and me, and we enter into the privilege together of growing in Christ using the gifts that we have, not to sit idle, but to make a difference. It's said that Christopher Wren, who designed St Paul's Cathedral after the Great Fire of London, went and visited the building site. And back in those days, with no Facebook and no daily newspapers, his face wasn't that well known. So he walked fairly anonymously among the workers and spotted three, noticing the different attitude with which they worked. One looked fairly sullen and serious, and he went up to him and asked what he was doing. He said, I'm cutting this stone, and I'm putting it in this wheelbarrow, and I'm moving it over there. He went to another person who was taking the stones and shaping them into what looked like the beginnings of the structure. And he said, and what are you doing? Well, I'm taking these stones and I'm building a wall. He went to a third person and noticed a completely different attitude. He had a spring in his step. He was whistling while he was working and he seemed really happy. Can I ask, what task are you performing here? And the man said, I'm building a cathedral. This is a building that's going to stand for generations. It's going to inspire people to worship God. All three of them doing similar tasks, but with a different attitude. You know, the attitude that we have as people who are being built by God and who God is using to do his building work in the community The attitude's important. The attitude being one of concern for others, yes. Concern for what God wants to do, yes. But concern also for the privilege of partnering with God in what he is building as he uses us. What you build for God and with God is something that's intended to be good. It's intended to make a difference. Do you consider that when you work with God to partner in what he is building through and with you, that it is a privilege, that it is exciting? The choices that you make today and in this week ahead, the things that you do in your walk with God to serve him and to partner with him are intentional choices, hopefully. And they're ones that are shaped by an attitude that seeks to give of your best to God And when you do that, watch and see what he'll do through you. Watch and see that it doesn't just all happen by accident. It happens on purpose. And when it is a great privilege to work and partner with God, the decisions that you make, your cooperation with him, watching what he does in and through you this week, will be part of the legacy that you leave. Many of the milestones along the journey of life are part of shaping what is built to last in you and hopefully endures 
long beyond your time on this earth. I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference. And I want to ensure that the legacy is not about making me look good, not even that my family would have something to look up to, but that I would see that what God has sown in the lives of others through me has been done better and better day by day because I've cooperated with him to build something intentionally. And it's my effort to cooperate, but it's God's mighty power at work within me. If we look at this passage in 2 Samuel 23, it's nestled in the context of talking about some mighty men, as they're called. They were great soldiers of King David, perhaps the greatest king Israel had ever had. And these soldiers included a noteworthy man who wasn't one of the main three leaders, but was considered so valiant a warrior that he later became the commander of the army under David's son, King Solomon. And although later on he was given prominence and position, he was here in this passage being formed for greatness. It was through the choices that he made that allowed his legacy to be built, that allowed him to make a difference for the glory of God, but through exploits on the battlefield. Now, we might pause for a bit of context here and consider why it is that God would even condone this killing of people in the Old Testament. Surely, in our New Testament days, he doesn't condone us killing people, does he? Well, if we're honest, we might feel like killing a few people who make our lives miserable. Or is that just me? Sometimes you get a bit frustrated with life and how it's working out. You think you'd like to take out a bit of divine vengeance. But in actual fact... God, ironically, doesn't invade a culture and tell everybody what's wrong with it. You notice that in the New Testament, he didn't explicitly condemn slavery, yet the overall message of the Bible is clearly against slavery. What God did was he took them where they were at and he just advanced where they were at a little further. He helped through the letter to Philemon to actually deal with the issue of slavery redemptively and to help the slave owner look after his slave a little better, regard him as a fellow labourer or brother in Christ. In a culture that oppressed women, we see in the New Testament that God didn't condemn and criticise, but what he did was he commanded the better treatment of women. And today God doesn't make the first point of order the change that's needed in the lives of people who come into the church. God takes people where they're at, but he doesn't leave them where they're at. He wants to advance them because God is in the business of change. He wants things to be better. He wants us to live a holier life for his glory. But he's not out there trying to change us. And I don't think we should be condemning or criticising others when they don't measure up to the standards we might have. If we're honest, you and I have grown over many years. If we've been Christians a while, we weren't perfect to start with and we're not perfect now. It's a journey. And if God has done anything in me over the last three decades of being a Christian, I know there's yet more to do. And he's done it as a work of his grace. And he took me where I was at as a 16-year-old committing my life to him. 
And he graciously dealt with me slowly, day by day. A person who lacked courage, who certainly wouldn't have seen myself like Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. I would never have seen myself as a mighty man of God. But just in the gentle, quiet way that God works on us, he takes us a step at a time down a journey toward greatness as he builds us up and ensures that the legacy we leave keeps us humble that it's not about us. It's about him, his work in us, and him receiving all the honour. Benaiah is a very interesting name. Names in the Old Testament had great significance. His name meant God has built up. If we identify with him, we're identifying with a person who God used but was building up. Is God building you up? Yes, as I said, Ephesians 2 tells us we are his workmanship. We're created from the beginning, the foundations of the world, to do good works. You were on God's mind when he sent Jesus to hang on a cross in your place. Jesus, who bled to death 2,000 years ago because in his perfection he did not need to die for himself. He therefore qualified to take our sin, our shortcoming, in his own body. He hung and bled there in our place. And the message of the Bible is that God doesn't force salvation on us. He offers it as a gift. We willingly accept it when we commit our lives to Christ. And accept the fact that just as Jesus rose triumphant over death and the grave on the third day, he broke the stranglehold of sin and all that it could do in you and against you and gave your life redemptive purpose. And Jesus, who is still in the business of redeeming lives today, he doesn't stand and condemn. He doesn't force the change instantly, but he takes us where we're at. He moves us forward. He builds us up just as he did with Benaiah. You might think, does that mean I've got to join the army like him? No. But what we're going to see is in this story, God using a man where he was at in his culture, he can use us where we are at in our culture, and we're going to look at three critical ways in which the inner world, the emotional life, the internal spiritual health of Benaiah is modelling to us ways of change that help us to be built, to help us to more greatly be used by God. Firstly, we see that Benaiah killed two Moabites. This speaks to us of God dealing with our past. Why? Because Moab, the original Moab, who we read about in Genesis, was actually born in a very unusual way. Moab's mother, who desperately wanted children, plied her father with alcohol and slept with him. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Moab through an act of sin that then perpetuated through the generations. The descendants of Moab, who'd originally been in the family of God, strayed from God. They wanted nothing to do with the people of God. They were opposed to Israel in the Old Testament. And Moab started to take on the character of an opposition, a frustration to the work of God among his people. 
Moab fought with Israel. And so Moab represents in this story that which is opposed to God. It's a bit like father, like son here, where Moab and his descendants have taken on a certain character that's unfolded through the generations with no one deciding to get back on track with God, no one deciding to, to rejoin the family and just continue the cycle of sin, of resistance. And I want to suggest that for many of us, we have inherited some rather awkward circumstances, maybe a legacy Maybe parents who weren't Christians. Maybe some past abuse or hurts or offences. It's not so much about the sins we've committed, but like Moab, the sins committed against him. The sins of circumstance that have conspired to place us in a, in a time or a, a, a situation of disadvantage. And I don't know about you, but for me, I was tending over the first few years of my Christian life to look at all the things that were wrong, all the things that were unfortunate, and I'd complain to God. Lord, why didn't you send people to mentor me? Why didn't you put people in my life to make my life less miserable, less difficult? Why do I have adversity at work? Why do I have this and that problem in my family? Why is this or that not gone right with my mum or my dad? And I'm starting to feel sorry for myself. And as I look back and see all the great things God has done, I've sometimes been blinded to that by focusing on what I wish could have gone better. And you and I can own very quickly our own sins and shortcomings, and we can repent, but I believe we get stuck in our emotional inner world and we stop ourselves from being built up for greatness when we fail to deal with our past, when we allow it to conspire against us because we don't choose to break free from it. And you might be saying, well, how can I do that? Interestingly, Moab was a case of like father, like son. His name meant of his father. The identity of Moab and the Moabites was almost like accepting we are of our father and there is nothing we can do about it. Woe is us. This is our lot in life. Lord, this is so unfair. And yet Beniah did something about it. Beniah as a soldier decided he wasn't going to let these Moabites oppress him on his watch. He wasn't going to let them affect and influence the destiny of God for his people. And he took a stand. We need to sometimes take a stand and recognise there is a different identity when we become Christians. Beniah was the son of his father, but his father's name meant known by God. When you are known by God, you take on the identity of an eternal God who is for you and not against you. A God who wants to show himself strong on your behalf. A God who is not out there to condemn or to, to hurt you. He's not there unsympathetically when life works out in unfortunate ways. But he's a God also who doesn't just sit by with empathy. He actually invites you to partner with him and to take on the identity of an overcomer, of someone who is victorious because of the cross of Christ, 
who can walk through life with a sense of confidence, of triumph, of knowing that whatever the devil means for harm, he can turn it around for good. You can go on the advance in your community making a difference to do good works and know that God backs you, he loves you, he is there for you. He will even work and show his power at times as you offer to pray for people and you see answers to prayer. You see miracles. You can see change. I sat down with a woman once who told me that she'd had all sorts of problems in life and she thought that becoming a Christian would be the answer. She wasn't feeling very victorious. It was almost like God had let her down. And I said, so did you come here today to talk to me about that? And she says, well, not exactly. She took a packet of cigarettes out of her handbag, put them down and says, I'm sick of this. I'm addicted to these things and I want to give it up. We got to talking a little bit more about what she'd done and how she'd tried and how she was feeling about herself. It became very apparent that her identity was much more like that of Moab. It's the I am of my father and mother. I am of these circumstances. I am of these sins that have been done against me. I am of this certain lot in life and I'm sick of it and I want it to change but there's nothing I can do. As we chatted, I said, you know, the Bible says that if you're a Christian, and she had become a Christian, that you have the identity of your heavenly father. He looks at you and sees you differently. In fact, God, by his power, can help you, even with an addiction like this. And even though it may be difficult, we unpacked it a little more, and I asked her, when did you start smoking? She said, when I was a teenager. I said, so why did you do it? She looked at me a bit puzzled. Why does everyone do it? Peer pressure. I said, okay, the real question is, why do you feel there was the peer pressure to smoke? Why did you succumb to it? She said, okay, I get what you're saying. She said, I had a bad relationship with my mother. She said, my mother was oppressive, controlling. She was always telling me what to do. And here's a way I could be free of it. And I could feel good. Because these friends would accept me if I would become like them. And there was nothing my mum could do about it. Wow. There was something in that. Because as she talked, everything about her life was about striving for acceptance. (coughs) In the workplace, in relationships, with friendships. It's always about whether people would accept her, whether she would feel good, and she didn't even realise she was living under the shadow of her mother and her mother's control now decades on. When we prayed about that, and when we talked about what the Bible said about her identity being in Christ, it was like something snapped. She never smoked from that day onward. Something shifted in her, and it can shift in us And I'm not saying we get the miracles we want. I'm not even saying that breaking addictions will be easy because, of course, life is not simple. But to truly walk in the power of God, to truly be built up by God, is to deal with those things on the inside from the perspective of an identity that we have in Christ who has made us a new creation if we're Christians. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that the old is gone, the new has come. And it might not feel like the switch gets flicked, 
But the more and more we conform to what Jesus Christ says about us in his word, the more and more we conform to living with a sense of his divine approval and we want to live for his pleasure and we want to partner with him, we actually ironically achieve the greatness that we are so wired to want. We don't find it by being stuck in our past. We find it by breaking free as we break free in him. I just want to quickly draw to a close by sharing a couple of insights from the remainder of this story. The second exploit of Benaiah was about going into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. To me, this speaks not just of dealing with the past, but the importance of dealing with the present. Many people occasionally face some snowy days. Things are not always going well in life. Sometimes feels like you're in a snowy day of adverse circumstances now. It's not just what once happened, but like right now, maybe there's a problem at work. It might be a business difficulty. It might be a relationship difficulty. When you're feeling maybe a little depressed or discouraged, you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. It can be pretty hard to face the lions that are in your life. With a step of intentionality, he went into that pit, taking the risk and knowing that the lion was probably at its greatest threat because it was so hungry, he took the lion on and he killed it off. And some of us need to kill off the lion-like problems that are in our lives today. And achieving greatness is not about procrastinating it's not about saying another prayer that God will help you one day. It's about facing those problems in his strength. Because he's already equipped you. He's already enabled you. He's already empowered you by his spirit to take on the problems you face. If the problems feel like people, don't attack the people. Recognise that they are spiritual in origin. And the devil would love nothing better than to try and throw you off course for God. To love nothing better than to discourage you and hold you down and make you believe that things are not subject to change despite the fact that the Bible speaks to the contrary. And a man come and see me a few years ago and uh, he said he had a problem. He was ashamed to admit that he was an alcoholic. He'd come to terms with the fact that he would drink every day when he was challenged to try and just go a couple of days without drinking, if he could give it up any time he wanted, he said he found he couldn't. He needed it, and he was ashamed. And I asked him, so why do you drink? It didn't take too long to figure out that it was about medicating some pain. And in an emotional conversation, after about 15 minutes, he opened up with a big heave and a sigh, said, I've never told anybody this. He said, I was sexually abused as a child. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't confront the person, and now I can't because he's since died. He says, I never dealt with this. I just buried it. And he says, my marriage is on the rocks. He said, my wife nearly left me. He says, what do I do? Well, to cut a long story short, I was able to lead him to Christ. But again, like with that woman, 
Dependency on Jesus was not about just saying a prayer. It wasn't just about coming to church and presuming that sitting in a pew and singing the hymns would make everything better. It's about recognising that with Jesus, we go on a journey to confront the presence with a newfound power and sense of identity. Led him through a journey of processing some emotions, got him to the point where he was prepared to forgive his attacker. That's not easy either. I'm not going to pretend that anyone can just do that. And yet for him, the change in his life was so profound that when Jesus could forgive him for all the wrong that he had done, when Jesus could forgive him for taking his own problems out on his family, it led him to a place where he could finally be free to the point that now several years on, he attends church regularly, he's involved in serving in the community, and he doesn't drink anymore. And he walks into church services smiling and holding hands with his wife. That's the kind of transformation that's possible because of the Jesus we serve. And finally, this story speaks to us of dealing with our future. We deal with our future in the present, but we recognise the future that we want to unfold a certain way does not just happen by itself. You can whistle while you work and you can have a spring in your step because if you are built up by God, free of the shackles of the past and the present, you can embrace the best years of your future by the choices you're making now. Benaiah reached out and grabbed a spear off an Egyptian and turned it around on him. The Egyptian speaks to us symbolically of the world. And it's not a racist kind of comment about Egyptians. They're a, a great people today. But in ancient times and in the Bible, Egypt was symbolic of the world and the system of the world. And in this case, what the devil could do through the world to try and oppress forward momentum. When we see Benaiah trying to go on a forward march and an Egyptian standing in his way... We've got the problem of the world confronting him and how does the world do that to us today? The world confronts us with distractions. The world confronts us with all sorts of ideals and dreams and the things that may be good but are not of God. And what Benaiah had to do was to also recognise that when the world stands like a giant in our path, and tempts us away from following God. We've got to turn that thing around. We've got to recognise that in our mind, the ideals and the mindsets that we have have got to be inverted. And what Benaiah did was he went out with his staff and he confronted the Egyptian. The staff speaks of our authority. We have authority in Christ to take a hold of your future, to take a hold of your dreams, not with arrogance, with confidence that Jesus is in control. Many times that I've pastored and led people and tried to help them embrace their future, it's been about recognising that they've become distracted, they've become perhaps even intimidated by the giants of problems standing in their way. 
And unless you deal with those things and recognise that the path beyond them, the path that God has for you, is the path to greatness. It comes, as you don't succumb to this world and all that it offers, you don't just succumb to some dream that might seem like it's going to earn you dollars or position. You don't just succumb to the promise that a relationship is going to make you happy. You recognise the true happiness and true joy in this life that comes from serving God and being on that pathway, breaking through and knowing that only hand in hand with him will you ever achieve the greatness that you seek. I wonder if I could ask you to stand this morning as we, as we close. And I want to lead you in prayer before I hand back. This, uh, this message perhaps has many points of application for us. It could be that some of you are not really seizing your future. You're an autopilot. You're just simply meandering through, accepting what the world throws at you. Accepting that uh, maybe somehow this shadow mission, which is not the real mission of God for your life, is your lot in life. A sense here that maybe some of you are in occupations, professions, that are not really what God has called you to. That maybe you're pursuing certain relationships or conditions for your happiness, which stand as an impediment in the road to your future. Beniah was from Kabzeel, a place that meant to gather. And if God is going to gather a people for himself to serve him, you've got to be positioned and ready. You've got to have the disposition to say yes to God. You don't want to wait until you're like the guy who admits he's an alcoholic and his marriage is in trouble. You don't want to wait until there's some sort of crisis and say, maybe then I'll get some help. Maybe I'm doing okay now. You know, some of you are doing okay, but you could be doing better. You could be seizing the destiny that God has for your life. I believe there's some people who need to seize it today. To get a hold of the fact that God wants to build you for something better than how you see your life now. He certainly wants to build you for something better than just coasting along and accepting that now is as good as it gets. There are people in your life this week who need to know the message of the gospel, who need to know the power of God's grace, who maybe need a miracle, who need their life turned around, who need something to change, and they're waiting for you to open your mouth. If you're focused on your own life, your own purpose, your own destiny, you're not made available in the hands of God to be a great warrior, to fight spiritual battles, to take ground off the devil in the lives of people who are never going to come to Christ unless you step up. If there's not going to be that change through you, is God going to have to send somebody else? Let me lead you in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for this great group of people. Lord, I thank you for this church and its potential, its promise. Lord, there are days ahead that are going to be exciting and fruitful. Those days... I'm not going to unfold short of some people here today taking a hold of a divine destiny that you have called them to. And Lord, I thank you that there are some of us here today that you are speaking to about some significant change steps. Lord, not just being uh, willing to coast along and accept life for what it is and what it's become. 
God, I pray that those of us here today who are seeking to be built up would walk with joy into the week ahead, partnering with you hand in hand to make a difference in this community, not just through our actions, not just through the love that we show, but with the words too. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us that courage to step out of our comfort zone, to speak words of grace and life, to speak words that would offer hope, to speak words that would invite people to prayer, that would invite them to Sunday services, that would invite them into a relationship that's going to bring transformation and life change for them. I believe the Lord would want to say to some people here this morning that he sees the cry of your heart, wanting change to happen, but the miracle is going to come as you take steps of courage. Somebody here today, and uh, it resonated with you about pain from the past, and you've been hoping that God would break you free of the past. He says, I want to, but I need your first step. I need you to be willing to pluck up the courage to go and speak to somebody. And as you do that, as you take that step of courage, then I can be in those conversations I can break you free from the past. There's somebody else here and you're in a particular occupation at the moment. It's not where God wants you to be. And I'm not talking about somebody who might just find your workplace a bit oppressive or people a bit unkind. He puts all of us in situations we don't like to be his agents for change. If you're a person and God's been speaking to you about taking a step of courage, about plucking up that courage to step out of your comfort zone and you're in fear... You don't know what the future is going to look like. God's asking you to trust him. He's asking you not to take all the steps, just the next step. There's also someone here today. That you're in a relationship that you know God doesn't want you to be in. It's a closer relationship. You're looking for, for happiness and fulfillment. You may be even leading yourself to believe that this is a God thing. And you know internally... This person maybe can be a friend, this person can maybe be an associate, but this person is not to be close because they're a distraction to you. It's a person who's not godly. It's a person in your life you've allowed them in, and they're not actually a helpful influence. And those things that we already know, those things that God is already saying, he's asking us to obey. It's not up to me or anybody else to dictate what the path should look like. It's up to us to all respond to what God is saying to us, to apprehend his call on our life, and to be obedient and following it into a healthy future. Because God's plans for us are great. The destiny for this church is awesome. But what will you do this morning? Will you give that step of obedience to him and let him breathe that to fresh life? To reinvigorate your spiritual journey? Will you do that this morning? Lord, I thank you for this great group of people. I thank you for the awesome steps ahead for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.